0: Hello again, Fight Fans, and welcome to episode number 290 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. This is TNC290 for November 20th. And I want to remind you guys, the new issue of Ring Magazine is out. Check it out. All dedicated to Felix Tito Trinidad, one of the great Puerto Rican fighters. And, you know, thinking back to his era... Uh, late nineties to the mid two thousands, you know, uh, that man, that was such a fun era, man. And, and at the time I didn't realize how good we had it looking back in that era. I realized now like how fun it was, but I always wondered is Felix, is Tito being overrated? I always wonder because people talked about him being the greatest Puerto Rican fighter of all time, but uh, there's a piece in here at the very end. Uh, let me see. I want to make sure I get the author, right? Yeah. By Lee Groves. Yeah. Lee Groves. Uh, where he breaks down all the great Puerto Rican fighters, best of the best, at the very end of this this issue that I highly recommend getting out. I love these collector's uh, issues like this. But he really lays out, uh, he breaks down like every single one uh, of the great Puerto Rican fighters, right? Benitez, Calderon, Camacho, Coto, everybody. And he narrows it down between, uh, I think, Wilfredo Gomez and Felix Trinidad. And it really does come down to those two. You know, and you really you could flip a coin, but you really, really can make a good case for Felix Tito Trinidad being the greatest Puerto Rican fighter of all time. Lee really brings uh, just, you know, in, in a very fair and in, in frank way, lays out all the, the numbers and everything like that. But it gives his um, reasoning for Tito being number one. And I don't know, man, he might have swayed me on that one. He might have swayed me. He's either number one or number two. Anyway, awesome issue. Guys, make sure you check that out. And I want to give a reminder, MLBTs, just in time for the holidays. Hey, <laughs> MLBTs, uh, we still got a bunch. So um, we re- ordered some new ones recently. So uh, we sold out like real quick when I got that new batch and we just re up with some new ones. So um, supply chain issues are going on right now. Hey, man. I can ship this right to you. It, it, these ain't sitting on some uh, container you know, off of Long Beach or, or uh, L.A. or whatever. I can just put it right in the mail to you tomorrow. So if you guys want to check one of those out, email me, MonteroOnBoxing at gmail.com. Or you can click this little Venmo thing up here on the screen right there, that little uh, symbol. If you put your phone over that, your camera, boom, it pops up, and you can send us a request, and we'll take it from there. All right, guys, as always, uh, please make sure that you uh, share the show and uh leave reviews ratings comments all that good stuff helps me out okay that is my fee for the show i ask you guys every week make sure that you do that pay the fee pay the fee man all right just tell somebody about the show we spread it through word of mouth we don't do ads here all right uh let's get into news and notes and there's not a whole lot to talk about i mean we're we're pretty much getting to the end of the year so everything that's gonna happen is already been announced but uh, it is worth mentioning that the Unification fight, the middleweight unification fight between Gennady, Triple G, Golovkin, and Ryota Murata is now official. It is December 29th in the Satema, Japan. And guys, this is a big deal. This Over in Japan, Murata is a superstar. You got to remember, he's an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, I think a lot of American fans don't realize how much that means in other parts of the world. Uh, It's a big, big deal. And Murata's had fights that were viewed by as many, I think, as 30 million uh, people over just in Japan. So he's done massive, massive numbers over there. And with Triple G coming over there and fighting, this is the biggest fight in Japan since uh, Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas. And, and I really, really feel like I'm not overstating it. That, that's how big of a, a fight this is. So um, this is going to be a lot of fun in terms of styles. And we'll get a, a good idea for where Golovkin's at, at this point in his career. He's going on 40 years old, hasn't been very active, but neither has. Murata. I do think a lot of people are selling Murata short and they see this as a complete walkover, you know, type of fight, a complete mismatch, like a 10 to one kind of mismatch for Golovkin, the way we recently saw with Canelo and uh, Caleb Plant. I, I don't think so. I think that this fight's going to be a lot more competitive than people think because of the styles involved and just where both guys are at in their career. Um, not that Murata's some young spring chicken himself because he's not. But uh, he's definitely got way less miles on the odometer than Golovkin. You got to remember, he had 300-plus amateur fights before he ever went pro. And he's essentially had two different pro careers. He had his first pro career in Germany and then the second one here in America. So he's he's really been boxing for, what, three-quarters of his life? Maybe – yeah, probably about three-quarters of his life. And, and uh, certainly, you know, well over 20 years at a very, very high level, Right. So, um, you know, he, I talked to Gennady once about his amateur days, and he just said basically every week they were going to tournaments. He was going all over every week to tournaments. And that's the way it was as a teenager for him, you know. So you just imagine um, the the tread on those tires. And I think it's going to show in that fight. I do favor Golovkin, obviously, but I think it's going to be fun uh, style-wise. And they're going to unify two of the belts at 160. That leaves Demetrius Andrade, who we'll talk about later in the show, and Jamal Charlo, um, and then there's Jaime Mungia, who doesn't have a title yet, but he's in line to face either of those two guys or Golovkin. We'll talk about him later in the show too. So I think 2022 is going to be a very interesting year in the middleweight division. Things are going to happen, uh, starting with with you know very end of this year on the 29th between uh, Triple G and Murata. Not a lot happened this year at 160 because the top guy, the money guy, the brand name, he sat in his butt the whole year. That's Golovkin. So um, I do think next year though, we're gonna see some things heat up. So um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun, man. It's gonna be interesting to see, you know, where people go because Charlo is kind of in no man's land. Andre, um, he's got a belt, but he just brings nothing to the table. Marada. Doesn't have a belt, but he does bring some economic muscle to the table. So uh, the way things pan out, I don't know. I have my estimates and my guesses. We'll see what happens. I'll let you guys know. All right. uh, Let's review what happened last week because there's a lot to talk about, man. We had a bunch of action. Uh, Saturday, November 13th, there was three major cards of note. Let's start over in Sheffield, England, man. Uh, Matrim on the zone and in the co-main, I told you guys last week in the preview portion of the show, Terry Harper had a very, very difficult assignment on her hands. I couldn't believe the odds I saw for this fight. I didn't realize Harper was such a big favorite uh, betting-wise because this, to me, was a 50-50 fight. But Alicia Baumgartner, TKO 4 waiting for Terry Harper. And there is a rematch clause for this, and I hear a lot of people are joking about that on Twitter. Oh, because, you know, I, I tweeted, Eddie Heard had a rough night, and he did have a rough night. But uh, people are like, don't worry about it. He's got the Eddie Heard rematch clause. Look, man, does Terry Harper want a rematch with Alicia Baumgartner? She didn't win one second of this fight. Not one second. And uh, Baumgartner, who, who has... Uh, really improved. She had one loss uh, two, three years ago, and it was close. It was a very, very close points loss. She has improved since then. She trains and works with bigger fighters, stronger fighters all the time. She's a beast in the gym. She's very good looking, very easy on the eyes, very, very marketable, if you know what I mean. Um, But she just, I think, had just an extra level of everything uh, against Harper, just was a little bit better at everything. And so much physically stronger, so much more explosive. And the the shot that she caught Harper with kind of had her out on her feet. Harper was literally knocked out on her feet. It was reflexes keeping her up and she kind of spun away. And the uh, bum gunner threw a left hook. And to her credit, when she saw the referee jumping in, she pulled back on it. A lot of other fighters out there would have followed through with that left hook and sent Terry Harper into next week. Uh, But to her credit, she pulled back on it when the ref jumped in. Good stoppage, by the way, by the ref. So Baumgartner now has the women's WBC junior lightweight title, 130 division in women's boxing. Uh, That's probably the best division right now in terms of the possibilities. There's a lot going on. And uh, Michaela Mayer just unified two belts. I think a fight between her and Baumgartner would be really, really entertaining but there's a chance that Baumgartner, I, I don't know if she has a mandatory or I can't remember, but I, there's another uh, title um, uh, South Korean woman. I, I can't remember which title she has, WBA or one of them. And so between those three, if they all fight each other in 2022, that's good for women's boxing, specifically for American women's boxing. Let's say Baumgartner fights Choi. That's the South Korean woman who has the other belt and unifies two belts. And then let's say she wins that fight, which I think she would. And then we got next year a fight between Michaela Mayer and Alicia Baumgardner right here in the United States to completely unify the 130 division, which compared to the divisions, you know, well north in 154, 160, what have you, is pretty deep in, for women's boxing. There's a good four or five solid fighters there, which is for women's boxing, that's pretty deep. Uh, that would be a good fight. And it would go a long way to uh, promoting women's boxing here in the United States. I think that that's a very, very marketable fight. So we'll keep our eye on the 130-pound division of women's boxing. But in the main event, Kiko Martinez come from out of nowhere, come from behind win. TKO 6 win over Kid Galahad. Knockout of the year contender. I don't quite think it's going to win knockout of the year, but it's up there. It's in the top two or three knockouts of the year. Uh, Probably... Could win upset of the year, although Sando Martin over Mikey Garcia was probably more of an upset for several reasons. Um, in this fight, Galahad to me is still largely unproven in a lot of ways. And Martinez has been around, has fought top guys. He has a lot of losses on his record. You know, he's 43-10 in two, so he has a MMA fighter kind of record for a boxer. But um, so do other guys we'll talk about later in the show, Gabriel Rosado and and others. They make for good fights. You know, you you guys, you pay too much attention with with these wins and losses sometimes. You just got to look at who a guy has fought and how he's performed, even when he does lose. Martinez is definitely a very experienced guy. And let's be clear, man. Late in the fifth round, I mean, Galahad had dominated 4.9 of the five rounds, right? It was that last 10th of the fifth round where Kiko Martinez dipped down to his right, like he was going to the body, looped the right hand over the top, landed it flush on the chin. Galahad got, went down, got up, saved by the bell, totally saved by the bell. If there were 30 more seconds in that round, it would have been over. Here's how badly he was messed up. Galahad makes it to his feet, but goes to his corner, has 60 seconds between rounds. Gets back up in the sixth round, first punch, very, very intelligently, by the way. First punch that Martinez throws was the same dip down, overhand right, lands flush, and Galahad's out. So, literally, I looked at the compu box, the punch numbers, and it, it, they actually listed the punch numbers for the sixth round. Martinez was zero for zero. And oh, I'm sorry, Martinez was one for one. Galahad was zero for zero in the sixth round. Uh, so, anyway, where does this put uh, the. The, the featherweight ratings, we talked about this this weekend, uh, the ring ratings committee. That division to me is as a complete mess. And there's Emmanuel Navarrete, who's number one. We don't rate Gary Russell Jr. because he doesn't fight. I think on any given night, if Gary Russell Jr. is in the ring, he's the best featherweight in the world, but he doesn't fight. So we don't rate him right now. So we have Navarrete, number one, and then it's the field. And I get it that uh, who's right behind him, Lara? Lara's right there. Uh, but I think any of these guys, Lara, Warrington, Galahad, Martinez, there's others, Maxayo, the Filipino kid, they can all on any given night beat each other. They're just It's just a wide-open division, and they need to start consolidating these titles to get a little bit of clarity at the top. All right, here in the United States, uh, we'll start in Phoenix, Arizona, TGB Promotions at the Footprint Center in Phoenix, PBC on Showtime. The Benavidez brothers fighting in their hometown. Uh, Jose Benavidez Jr. gets a majority draw against Francisco Emmanuel Torres, 154-pound fight. This was uh, Jose's first fight in three years. He got shot in the leg. Uh, Questionable matchmaking. If you're having a showcase homecoming fight, I get it that you don't want to put him in there with a soft touch, so he's going to completely annihilate. But style-wise... Jose, he has a leg that's compromised. I'm sure you guys noticed the leg doesn't move very well. That got shot, right? It's not like he has a pole in his leg or anything, but like it doesn't bend very good. He's not very flexible with it. Um, He's not very fleet of foot, never was, but especially with that compromised leg. And you put him in there with a mover. (laughs) I, I don't quite understand that matchmaking. I think that their thought was uh, Torres can't punch through a wet paper bag. He just has no punching power. And maybe that's why they did it. But style-wise, you need a guy that was going to come to Jose and be there to get hit in exchange with him. Not a guy that's going to stay long, touch him, and back away and and run at times, which is what Torres did. He moved a lot. Uh, That being said, you can make a case that Torres won this fight. Now, a lot of people are saying that this was a complete robbery. And I get it. I understand because a lot of people felt Torres won, but I do have to state this was a close fight. It was close. I don't think either man won more than six rounds. Um, It would be hard to give uh, either one seven. If you were going to, it'd be Torres, but this was kind of a six rounds to four kind of fight for me. It was close. Okay. Uh, But you could just tell that Torres was there to lose And I should state, all three judges, I looked them up, all three of these judges were from Arizona. So all three judges, uh, well, two of them had a draw. One of them had Benavidez winning, which I I think was, at best for Benavidez, it's a draw, right? And at best for Torres, he's winning six or seven rounds. I think that's the swing for this fight. So I I guess I just contradict myself. When I I think robbery, I, I think of a guy winning eight or nine rounds of a 10 round fight in settling for a draw. You know what I'm saying? But I guess even a close fight could be a robbery too. So I'm going to go ahead and correct my statement from just a minute ago, but all three judges from Arizona and there were people on Twitter saying, Oh, this is why you don't fight a guy in their hometown. This, that, the other, it, this was a PBC special. Come on, man. And, and, And I should be fair. Top rank, they've had top rank specials recently. The Michaela Mayer fight, that those scorecards were way too wide. Okay. So this isn't specific to one promoter, but it didn't matter where this fight was. If it was in Vegas, uh, somewhere in Texas, California, whatever, Benavidez was going to get the benefit of the doubt, right? This was a showcase for the Benavidez brothers. But it does look bad when there's three judges from Arizona scoring an Arizona fighter, uh, fighting a guy from another country. It just wasn't the greatest look. In the main event, David Benavidez improves to twenty-five and zero with a TKO seven win over last-minute replacement Kyron Davis, who fared very well for himself. He, uh, he he fought very bravely in spots and everything. He just can't punch through a wet paper bag, just like Torres. Both of the opponents that the Benavidez brothers got in there with just cannot punch. And uh, Davis always on his back foot um, looks flashy because he's ripped. He's got that you know that kind of body that looks impressive. But when you get in there and spar, uh, sometimes with a guy like that, you're like, damn, there's nothing on his punches, right? And then you get in there sometimes with a a sloppy-looking guy that has a dad bod, and you're like, god damn, that dude has heavy hands. Looks can be deceiving, man. And a lot of times those super jacked-looking guys like that don't hit that hard. And for Davis, everything's on the back foot. So he he touches you, and he's effective because he's fast, but there's not a lot of pop on those punches. Benavidez just kind of walked him down. And was just systematically breaking them down. And uh, Davis's corner, Stephen Breadman Edwards, was working the corner. I saw Mike Rodriguez in there too. Shout out to both of those guys. They're both truly, truly awesome guys. But uh, Breadman stopped the fight, which was awesome. I wish more corners would have the the balls, quite frankly, to step up and do the right thing, even if it cost them a job in the future, as it did with, let's say, uh, Mark Brilliant with Deontay Wilder. But um, look for Benavidez, twenty five and zero yet to truly face to face a truly elite super middleweight. He just hasn't yet, right? And some of that is really his fault because of all the issues he's had outside the ring. Um, he, he needs to lay off the white girl, if you know what I mean. And it seems that he has. Cool, he's made some mistakes, but he's cleaned it up. Good for him. And then some of it's his management. PBC, that's just what they do. He's had opportunities. There's, there's plenty of fighters. He could have fought Plant. He could have fought Durrell. He could have fought those guys by now. And he just hasn't. So uh, all that being said, he's still the top challenge right now at super middleweight for Canelo Alvarez. There's no one else I'd rather see Canelo fight at 168 right now than David Benavidez. However, I don't think he's going to beat Canelo, guys. Uh, Canelo's going to pretty much, I don't want to say dominate, but he's going to win fairly convincingly. Uh, against Benavidez as well. I just think it's going to go the distance. That's the only difference. Canelo's really going to be punching up at a guy that can take punches, and is going to see certain shots coming. And I think that um, that fight's likely going to distance. But I don't see everyone. You know, I see people say, "Oh, David Benavidez, he could beat Canelo." No, we can't. Canelo's going to win that fight. However, I still want to see it. I definitely want to see it. All right, uh, Anaheim, California, Golden Boy Promotions on the zone, uh, Comain. Alexis Rocha, KO-9 win over Giovannis Barraza. It was a 10-round welterweight fight. Uh, Rocha is 2-0 since his first loss last year to Rashidi Ellis. He looked uh, good in this fight. He looked improved. So sometimes that L improves a fighter, you know, and I, I think that um, he's definitely improved and, uh, since that learning lesson. Main event, let's talk about this. Jaime Munguia wins a unanimous decision over Gabriel Rosado to improve to 38-0. and o. Great action in this fight, even though it was one-sided in terms of rounds. Rosada was having enough moments inside of each round to keep it competitive and make it exciting. But at no point during this fight was the, I guess once it was, in the first half, you wondered what might happen. But from the second half, um, like the sixth, seventh round on, to me, the ending was never in doubt. It was just, can Mungia stop him? But Mungia was going to win on the cards. And it was just, you know, can Mungia stop this guy? Um, the, the zone broadcast and even the ring announcer after the fight uh, said that this is the fight of the year, you know, and this was amazing two way action, blah, blah, blah. I think everyone was trying a little bit too hard. And I understand this is something all the, the platforms do now because they're essentially their own promoters. But sometimes I just wish they'd call the damn fight. Uh, It seems that every commentator has their own little shtick that they do. Some commentators want to make a fight seem more close than it really is. Some want to make it seem more controversial than it really is. Like there's this narrative that certain guys always stick with, you know, and some guys want to always bring in some sort of historical reference and try to make the fight a a historical thing. Why couldn't this just be an exciting, albeit one-sided, but an exciting fan-friendly, entertaining fight between a young up-and-coming guy in his in his physical prime and a faded veteran who's been there, done that, seen it all. Why couldn't it just be that? That's enough. That's enough. You know, and I, I just think um, some of the commentary was like, guys, come on, come on, just chill. Just, you know. Anyway, I enjoyed the fight. Uh, I want to talk real quick a little bit about some things I saw Mungia doing that um, I thought were nice little technical additions that his 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 team has kind of thrown in there. So I don't know if they worked on this specifically for Rosado or not, but it ended up working for him. At the end of every combination, just about every combination that Munguia threw, um, he would dip to his left, which is Rosado's right, and he would shoot a left hook to the body and then a left hook to the top. And while he was shooting a left hook to the top, he'd shift over to his right, Rosado's left. What that ended up doing is Rosado really, really to me looked like an old cagey veteran who couldn't throw in combination anymore. It was just trying to land that one big shot. That's what I saw from Rosado. And he was trying to catch Munguia diving in and timing him for a big right. And he almost got him a couple times early, but Munguia saw that adjusted and stopped doing it to his credit. So when Rosado realized he couldn't get him the way he got back the bully earlier this year. He wanted to try to shoot a counter right hand at the end of a combination, right? So after Munguia would get off, Rosado wanted to catch and then shoot. Well, if you're getting off on the guy's right side, you're, you're, you're eliminating his chance to throw a right hand because you're right there. Right. And then you're touching down below. So he's got to dig his elbow down. Then you're touching up top. And by the time he can shoot back to you, if you're shifted over, he's got nothing but the back of your head. And you saw over and over uh, Rosado did punch the back of the head. Rosado was going for the rabbit punches and he was trying to make it rough And there. He was pushing Munguia. And that was his way of saying, Hey, Hey, youngster, I'm an old man. I've been in here. I've seen everything. There's nothing you can show me I ain't seen before. You're in here with a real-ass dude. So I really didn't mind that because it was his way of – it was the, one of the tactics he had to use in the fight. But Mungia technically was doing really well with that double left hook. I like that. Another thing that Mungia was doing was using speed more so than power. When you throw a – let's say it's a 1-1-2-3-2, one, one, two, two, Right. Five punch combo. But when you're doing it with every punch is with power, right? There's that little split second load up on each punch. And a really, really sharp counter puncher, a really experienced fighter can pick where he's going to punch with you and punch in between your punches and and could hurt you like that. But if you're just touching, boom, 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 right? Just touching, just touching with it. It's much, much harder to get in between those shots and punch with a guy who's doing that. The best you could try to do is punch before the combo or after the combo, right? And as I mentioned, Munguia did a good job of getting off the line with his last couple of shots, that little double left hook, even if there wasn't a whole lot on them and the way he was pulling with the hook up top, it was moving Rosado and he would get out, get in on Rosado's left shoulder at the end of the combo. That was eliminating the counter at the end of the combo. And then because he was punching with enough speed, uh, Rosado is just not a fast enough, slick enough guy to punch in the middle of that combo and catch him. So, so, so in that sense, Munguia's offense was his defense. All that being said, Munguia still gets hit way too much. Uh, he's exciting as hell to watch. Can't be in a bad fight. He has been improvements technically. And he called out Gennady Golovkin after this fight, which I, I've been telling you guys: everybody at 168 is calling out Canelo Alvarez, right? Everybody at 160 is calling out Gennady Golovkin. I don't blame them for doing this. I, I really don't blame them for doing it. But if you're if you are Triple G, and let's say you beat Murata next month, who do you want to fight next year, right? Because you have really essentially two choices: Charlo's out of the running because he's not a disowned guy, and yeah, it's just his team isn't really interested in fighting top fighters. But Andrade is there, and you could unify further with Andre, or there's Mungia, who doesn't bring a title to the table, but he brings some economic muscle to the table. And this is why I think that we probably will see, should Triple G beat Murata. Now, I know there's mandatories and all this, that, and the other thing. I think Esquivia uh, Falco is fighting. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's an IBF eliminator this this weekend on the Crawford Porter undercard. And so he'll win that fight and he'll be a mandatory for Golovkin next year. So that's a soft touch mandatory for him earlier in the year. But if Triple G beats Murata, I'm telling you guys right now, I think it's very, very possible and and more likely that we see a fight between Triple G and Munguia than Triple G and Andre, because even though Andre has a title, Munguia is going to bring a lot more economic muscle. They could do that, <laughs> they could do that fight in Texas, they could do it in Los Angeles, they could do it in Vegas. If they go to Vegas and uh they do it on the right weekend, they can make a ton of money. So that's probably what's going to happen there. So again, uh Jame Mungia now, I think, is in a mandatory position for Charlo's belt, for Andre's belt. But who did he call out? He didn't call out either of those guys. He called out Golovkin. Why? Because just like the economic muscle that Mungia brings, like I said, uh, for Golovkin, Golovkin brings significant economic muscle, obviously, for Mungia, That's that's the money fight. And it just so happens he's going on 40 years old and he's over the hill. All these guys suddenly want to fight Golovkin. But to his credit, Mungia was willing to fight Golovkin several years ago. Um, the, I can't remember which fight. Uh, negotiations had broken down and Mungia was being considered. And he was willing to take the fight at the time. So I think he's always wanted Golovkin. But just in terms of money and everything else, uh, everything I mentioned, yeah, it's obvious why Ungia is going to call out Triple G at this point, man. Um, and it's obvious why Triple G would probably rather fight Ungia than anybody else. Super chat pledge from my man, Chris Bergen. What's up, Chris? He said, um, if they did a world boxing super series at middleweight, who would win? That is a damn good question. Thank you for the super chat, brother. Um, well, let's let's look at it this way. Who would you want in it? You'd have Triple G, Mungia. you'd have Charlo, you'd have Andre. That four is pretty damn awesome. Then you'd probably throw in Falco, maybe, I don't know who else. At this point, man, um, I'm still going to stick with Triple G until we see enough slippage. Now, look, if he fights Murata and barely squeaks by, and it's like a 115-113 kind of fight, That'll change my view. And I do think it's going to be highly competitive, Um, but I just haven't seen enough from Charlo who just struggled with a B level fighter in his last fight that went to distance Uh, Andre. Let's see how he looks against Quigley this weekend, but he, he seems to fight hot or cold up and down to the level of his opposition. If Golovkin is anywhere near, anywhere near where he was for the second Canelo fight, the second, not even the first, the second Canelo fight, I still think he beats those guys. I think they're all super competitive fights. They all go the distance and all those guys touch up triple G and bruise his face, snap his head back a few times, but do they have enough? I would just kind of look at it the way when Caleb plant, Billy Joe Saunders, Callum Smith recently fought Canelo. It's not that those guys are bad fighters. Uh, you know, I think they're pretty good. They're not great, but they're pretty good. But man, Especially with like Caleb Plant, he had fought nobody, absolutely nobody. And you could just see the levels of experience in the ring. Charlo, Andre, these guys haven't fought anybody. And they get in there with Golovkin. If he's anywhere near uh, top form, it's going to show. Now, the first half of the fight, okay, things are competitive. But in the middle rounds, man, it's going to start to show. The only difference would be. In the late rounds, if Golovkin is over the hill, does he fade? You know, that would be a possibility. <clears throat> Gail Falkenthal in the chat. I know she was ringside for the fight uh there in California. She says, Michael Mungia was floated as the replacement after Canelo popped a dirty drug test. California Commission said no. And we got Vans Martirosian. Thank you, Gail. I couldn't remember which one it was. I couldn't remember if it was... Uh, Derevianchenko or Canelo. Or what, so, so thank you for that. But I remember they, they floated his name and the California commission turned Mungia down. Interesting. And Mungia and his people were willing to do it at that time. Super chat pledge from Torian Falk. Thank you so much, my friend. He says, I would take Mungia to beat Charlo today. Interesting. I don't know how I, I, I don't know, man. Like, Maybe on activity. I mean, yeah, based on what we saw in the last fight, absolutely, although styles do make fights, I just wonder some of those shots that Rosado caught Mungia with, and he landed some big right hands, and Mungia turned with them, you know, rolled with them pretty good. Charlo Punch is harder than Rosado, man. Charlo Punch is a lot harder. He's a lot more explosive than Rosado. So also, he has a sneaky rear uppercut that he could shoot, that, that right uppercut when Mungia kind of lunges in. And you might be looking for an overhand right that's easier to see. You slip in an uppercut. I think Charlo, uh, that would man, that would be a hell of a fight, though, just in terms of styles. I'd love to see it. But it could be a situation where Mogia could be dominating around, and then Charlo could land one big punch that hurts him, drops him, and then suddenly it's like an even round. You know, you could see things like that in that fight. But man, that would be so much fun. I would love to see those. I would love to see the matchups of Charlo, Andre, Mungia, but just like we saw at 68 with Plant, Smith, Saunders, these guys don't want to fight each other. They want the Golovkin sweepstakes. So it's the same thing we're seeing at 160 that we saw at 68. The difference is Canelo's in his physical prime. He's in the peak of his powers. Golovkin, a little bit past his best. And so that's the difference, man. Okay. Let's do the preview. Uh, We got a lot to preview this week, man. There's fights several different days. Let's start Wednesday, November 17th. Queensland, Australia. Tim Zhu, 19-0, going up against Takashi Inoue, 10 rounds junior middleweights. (coughs) Inoue, not related to Naoya, as far as I know. Uh, Mostly fought in Japan. I think he's fought a couple times in Thailand also. But he's only had one fight outside of Asia. He fought Jaime Munguia at 154, of course, in Houston in 2019. It was pretty much shut out, okay? So if you're being shut out by the 154 version of Mungia, yeah, your boxing craft is not up to snuff, okay? And I do think that Zhu is more fundamentally sound um, and throws crisper punches than Mungia did. So I expect Zhu to make a statement in this fight, and I think he's going to be the first fighter to stop In OUA. That's what I think is going to happen. Unfortunately, I don't think this has been picked up by any of the American networks. I don't think we got this here. ESPN Plus, The Zone, nobody picked this up. Makes no damn sense to me because they should be marketing this kid. Friday, November 19th in Manchester, Manchester United. Nope, not that Manchester. Manchester, New Hampshire here in America. Matt Trubb on the zone. Uh, this is actually a pretty loaded card, man. Let me go top to, or bottom to top here. Callie Reese versus Jessica Camara for Reese's WBA in the vacant WBO 140-pound title. So we've got another uh, title unification for the ladies. Uh, so in the last five years or so, all of the sanctioning organizations have dove in headfirst for women's boxing. And the good part is you're getting some unification because there's so little competition, right? So you're not seeing a bunch of fractured titles. The top girls are fighting each other, unifying the belts. I love that. That should be happening. All of these divisions should be unified within the next couple of years. Every division of women's boxing should be completely unified. That's the best way to build the sport up. Also, uh, I think the fight of the night on this card, Julio Cesar Martinez versus McWilliams Arroyo. Mexico versus Puerto Rico for Martinez, WBC flyweight titles, fourth defense, McWilliams, Royal, good fighter, experienced, and Martinez, explosive fighter. Um, this will be a fun fight. To me, this fight will probably steal the show. And then we have, uh, Mur- I always mess up his first name. Jean Akhmadayalev. I have no problem with the last name. The first name I always mess up. Akhmadayalev going up against... Jose Velasquez for Akhmedalov's IBF and WBA 122-pound titles, his unified titles. Uh, This is his second defense of those unified belts. And in the main event, Demetrius Bubu Andre versus Jason Quigley for Andre's WBO middleweight title. All right, so what I want to see from Andre, I want to see him beat the brakes off of Jason Quigley. I just want to see him absolutely dominate this fight From start to finish, no playing, no games, no showboating, no bolo punch bullshit. Go in there and just beat the shit out of this guy. Pound him. Not because I'm mad at Jason Quigley. He's a cool guy. I've met him. I've talked to him. He's a super nice guy. I'm just saying for Andre to make a case for the Golovkin fight or for the Mungia fight, okay, he's got to make a statement. No more of this, oh, I'm going to just – lackadaisically just, you know, box to win rounds and win a decision here, but not knock this guy out. I'm not going to step on a gas pedal. No, dude, I want you to go out there like a killer, a sociopath and beat this guy down and show us that you want these top fights. Don't just go out there and get overpaid because you're not worth the money you're being paid. Don't just go out there with your comp tickets and everything in the crowd. I'm not trying to diss, but I'm just keeping it real. Don't just go out there and earn your check and punch in, earn your check. Ah, Taking a break, taking my lunch, I'm going to surf the internet. Don't be that guy at the office. Be the dude at the office who gets there early, volunteers for extra assignments, does some overtime, comes in on the weekend. Be that dude. Go in there and show us that you want the top fights. If you are super, super A-level, as you say you are, you should absolutely dominate every nanosecond of this fight. And leave no question. That's what I want to see from Andre. We'll see what happens. Saturday, November 20th, there is a fight in Ukraine. Ukraine. Artem Delakian versus Luis Concepcion for Delakian's WBA flyweight title. Uh, that's not televised or anything. It's just on the schedule. Thought I'd bring it up. But here in the United States, the big one Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas, ESPN Plus pay per view. Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter for Crawford's WBO welterweight title. These two are the same age. They both went pro in 2008. That's kind of where the similarities end. They have a similar amount of fights, right? But Crawford, of course, started at 35, and he's moved up to 47. But, or I'm sorry, Porter has always been a 47. Uh, so he's benefited from being part of the PBC in that he has been able to have opponents, and he's fought the top PBC welterweights, and he's fared pretty well. He's come up short, but he's fared pretty well. The one guy that beat him, I would say more dominantly than everyone else, was a non-PBC guy, and that was Kell Brook. And at one time, Kell Brook was the best welterweight in the world. I really, really feel that way. It was a short time, but he really was the best welterweight in the world. I was ringside for that fight, and Kell Brook absolutely dominated from the middle rounds on. It was competitive early, and he dominated from the middle rounds on. All of the PBC guys that Porter's been in with, Right. I fought Thurman, you fought Spence. Who else? There's a couple other guys. Uh, Whether he won or came up short, whatever, they were competitive from start to finish. And here's my question Is that because Sean Porter's really, really, really good? Or is it because all of the PBC welterweights are a tad overrated? Which one? Well, we're going to get some answers to that question this Saturday. And I think. Terrence Crawford is going to show his levels. Now, both of these guys have been inactive recently, right? I can't think of, I want to say it's been over a year for both guys, but it's been a little bit longer for Porter, but neither one's been super, super active. So I think that ring rust is going to affect things early on. There's going to be a slow sluggish start. It's going to be very physical, a lot of maybe uh, jockeying for position, you know, a lot of fainting and things like that, and dust-ups and clinches and stuff. But I think by the middle rounds, Bud is going to find his groove. And I expect him to coast late in this fight. Now, what I want to see, much like I just talked about with Andre, I want to see the nasty killer, Bud Crawford, that goes for the kill, that is pissed off, right? When Mean Machine dropped him in that one fight, he got mad, right? And there's been several other fights where he got a little pissed. He took a personal, and he got nasty in there. I want to see that in this fight. I want to see that edge because Crawford's been a guy that's looked a little happy, a little too happy to be the position that he's been in recently. Um, getting paid well to fight mostly B-level opposition. I want to see him go in there and, and make a statement in this fight. And if he goes in there and absolutely dominates Sean Porter, okay, if it goes to the cards, I want to see 117-111, 118-110, 119 um, What the hell? 119, 109. I'm trying to do the math in my head. Uh, That's the kind of scores I want to see. I want to see Crawford step on the gas late and and stop Porter. And I actually think that could happen. I think Terrence Crawford could score a 10th, 11th round TKO win in this fight. And if he does that, it would answer the question I proposed earlier. And I think it would just show the level this guy is on and why an entire organization a boxing platform, and the network that broadcasts that platform's fights have avoided this guy for years now. So much so that CBS slash Showtime wouldn't include Terrence Crawford in their graphics of the welterweight division. So much so that PBC, Showtime, CBS pretended, and Fox, I should mention Fox, Uh, pretended that the WBO title didn't exist, even though they had some of their guys fight for the WBO title in recent years. Okay. They completely blocked this guy out. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think we're going to see that reason this Saturday. So I expect a big performance and a big statement from Crawford. Now, is this going to be a super action-packed, exciting fight? Fuck no. I don't see that. I just, I don't see that, but I do think it's going to be a fun fight and it's going to be interesting. And it just, there's going to be high drama moments and a lot of tense, a lot of tensity, right? But this is definitely going to be a measuring stick for Bud versus Earl. Everyone calls Errol Spence Earl. I don't know why it's Errol, Errol, but it's going to be a measuring stick between Crawford and Spence. Spence fought Porter. It was competitive. He dropped him late but it was competitive. Crawford probably won four rounds or so, maybe even five rounds in that fight. I thought it was you know, about eight rounds to four, but you can make an argument seven rounds to five. So people are going to be looking to see how Crawford does against him, right? And whether, you know, look, we all know styles make fights and none of this stuff really matters. Triangle theories don't work, but you know people are going to be paying attention to this. It's going to be a measuring stick. The reality is Errol Spence has fought once. In over two years, two plus years, he's only fought once. Okay. He's been dealing with stuff outside the ring. There's been injuries, all this good stuff. I get it. But if Terrence Crawford wins this fight, I don't give a shit. And if he wins in, I don't even say dominant, but if he wins decisively, okay, if there's no controversy, he clearly decisively wins this fight right now. He's the best welterweight in the world. I don't give a shit who has the other titles. But when you look at the fact that Spence has only fought once in like 25, 26 months, something like that, and we don't know how good the eye is, how compromised, you know, he is with all the injuries he's had. Um, we don't know what to expect. I don't know, guys. Uh, to me, Crawford's the number one well-to-weight in the world if he wins this fight decisively. That's the way I see it, man. Okay. <clears throat> that is all for the the preview. Let me make sure I didn't miss any super chats. I don't think so. I think we're caught up in the chat. So let's jump to the phone, man. We got a uh, we got a few phone calls here. One of you has been on for a while, so let's jump on here. Let's get this person. All right, five five nine. You're on the show. What's up?
1: <laughs> well, I didn't,
2: I didn't think I was on there for the longest, but I guess uh, I guess I did, huh?
0: Yeah. What's <laughs> up, man? What's up, Miguel?
2: Bro,
0: what's up? What's up, Miguel? How you doing, man?
2: Man, just me right here with my wife, Sarah, the children, man. I just wanted to give a shout-out for all the hard work you're giving. And uh, thank, you, thank you for covering the fight. Uh, I just wanted to mention, um, I really watched too much fights the other day. Uh, but I did watch the Rosado versus Munguia one. And I got to say, man, in the midst of all the boxing bullshit that we were having to put up with, man, these guys give a good-ass show, bro, with no controversy. No whack judge. he's just straight good boxing. Mungil um, was on another level. I really, I thought I was looking at a different fighter. He even came in with a little haircut different than Eric in the
1: mm-hmm. Eric
2: Morales, El Terrible, White Trunks. You know, uh, reminiscent of it. I was like, wow. But yeah, you're right. He um he really changed his style up. Um, and that you can tell it was through training. It wasn't because he was fighting a weak guy. Rosales was far from weak. He's one of the best in my opinion. Um. I have never seen Munger operate like that ever, and to me to go against up against a guy like Rosado, who somehow managed to peak later in his career by knocking out a relatively tough ass opponent, back the bully. I mean, that, that's great matchmaking, dude. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I had in my mind that they're probably gonna stop the fight due to cuts or or too much injury to Rosado, but man, the dude the dude really believed in himself. You know what I mean? And and he was doing like you said. So pull back right counter over and over. I just wish he would have gotten more dirtier and more inside to the body. But
0: yeah, like you said, Mungil was on another, another level, dude. Yeah, he, um, uh, Rosado yeah. kind of had that one, he was just going for that one home run punch, man. There was no, there was no uppercut. There was no body shots. There was no left hook. Um, so it just seemed like he thought, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get him. I'm going to time him with a big right hand. And he landed a couple of them, but it wasn't working, man. Cause, uh, yeah. Mungia was rolling with it,
2: you know? A couple of times, I'm not going to say he uh, wobbled Mungia, but he definitely buzzed him and stopped him in his tracks for a few seconds. He had a few of those right hands that mm-hmm. he did yeah. ran. yeah, And that to, me, yeah, that, to me, really answered those questions because they weren't one-off hits. They were trying. They were coming at him correctly, and they were catching him when he wasn't looking. Despite his brilliant performance, the speed, the when you were talking about, the speed, man. That's that's one of the details a lot of people don't really look at, you know. Co- compared this to his last performance, dude, he look like I'm saying, looks like a whole different fighter. But I don't even know who I was looking at. I was oh, jacking that shit on Facebook Live, you know. <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, you know, the speed, uh, one two three, boom boom, you know, tap tap tap, boom boom, power or power tap tap tap, power, you know, different shifts and um and power and speed and even angles. Like he was taking two three steps at sometimes. And sometimes he would just jump in there with a one-two step with power and then move away with the speed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And always with
3: the left hook, bro. He
1: always finish to up me,
3: with the left hook. I, I have a number one out, 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 out the way he's in, which is 160, right?
0: Yeah, you got a number one at 160?
2: Well, I mean, compared to these other guys, who, who are they fighting that are tough test, bro? Think about it. Well, I, I was a beast, bro. I mean, I like, he's he is a dude, beast, but a I, I want to see I – mean,
0: uh, I want to see Triple G and Murata before I get my rating. Right now, I just want to see how Triple G and Murata, you know, how that fight plays out, and then I'll get my okay. rating. But, but I, I'd put Munguia yeah, above you know what, right that. Charlo right now for sure.
2: Oh, I I, I have him beating. I am knocking Charlo out.
1: Mm.
2: You know, unless Charlo times the uppercut, right? Because Charlo throws it only when he's yeah. on his side. Yeah. He doesn't step in or faint, dude, trying to throw it in, you know? Munguia will see that all day, dude, so... But, yeah, I, you, you can say yeah. Triple G technically is number one at 160. It just hasn't fought nobody, bro.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I mean, how I long has
2: it been since he fought? Bro?
0: It's been over a year. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Well, he'll yeah, fight next month, so that, we'll get the answers next <laughs> month, Miguel.
2: Yeah, I do want to chime in, and give shout out to you. Uh, I, uh, me and my wife, man, through a repo rig, whooped that ass promotion. We managed to land a fight. Uh, sometime in January, the Fresno City College details coming soon. Cool yeah, against Cody Sun. So um Miguel Flores versus Cody Sun. We have yet to win each of us, so it'll be good, I guess. Somebody somebody's old got to go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey man, good luck, brother. <laughs> yeah, don't eat too much over the holidays, <laughs> man. Don't eat too much over the holidays. No,
2: oh, no, nah, man, no, nah, man, no, nah, no. All like right, I brother. Said, good know, luck in
0: training, you man.
2: Really, you really motivated me. You really motivated
1: me and uh, starting
0: up again. So thank you, bro. I'll see you later.
3: Okay. All
0: right, man. Have a good one. Peace out. Yeah. A good comment here from American boxing fan. I, I want to make sure I read this because I think he's got a great point here. He says, Michael, the media is not giving the and Eddie Hearn enough credit for cleaning up the judge corruption within their fights. The is letting the right person win no matter their market value. Well, Okay, I, I, let's think. Has there been any shady judging on a matchroom slash zone card this year? You guys are gonna have to jog my memory because my mind is shot right now. But I do have to say, um, they. It seems to me that their scorecards have been pretty good. Uh, however, last weekend, you know, I'm thinking their card. I mean, both the, the big upsets were knockouts. They, they weren't necessarily, you know, on the cards. So, um, so. I pose this question to you guys. If you think about some of the shitty judging we've had this year, were any of a matrim cards, let's explore that because maybe American boxing fan in the chat is onto something. <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Gail says, what we did learn is that Munguia has a pretty good chin. Several was the right hooks were wicked hard. Munguia said post fight that he was buzzed several times, third, eighth and ninth. Uh, according to my notes. Yeah um he does have a damn good chin and and you know he's got a motor on him for sure but um he's he showed that he has a really really good chin that being said Rosado's not necessarily a big hard puncher i do think if charlo landed those punches hmm. um if triple g landed those punches hmm. a super chat pledge from goop dara thank you so much goop he says nobody fights all right I don't know what that means, but thank you very much. We appreciate it, man. All right, back to the phones we go. I think we got Nacho on the line here. What's up, Nacho?
4: Hey, Mike. much. Um, so in regards to uh, my boy, Jaime Munguia, I think that was the best performance he's put on uh, since he's moved up to 160. Uh, you can see gradually as uh, time has gone on with Eric Morales, Morales has added more and more wrinkles to his game, whether it's uh, teaching him how to, you know, slip uh, punches, how to use his uh, uh, hands to kind of parry jabs and then counter guys with the right hand. And also, uh, you know, teaching him not to throw a bunch of wide kind of sloppy punches and also being very um, sure of shortening his punches up so that he's able to land more frequently instead of missing like he used to when he was fighting at 54. I thought he, he would throw a lot of times at 54 and he would gas out because he was just throwing punches just to throw punches. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really making sure that they that they were landing on the target. Mm-hmm. And so he's cleaned up a lot of the things that were wrong with his uh, game. And, um, and he put on a hell of a performance the other night. I mean, I give Rosado credit. He stood in there and and he took it and and Mungia took his his best shot and and proved that you know he's not uh, some mirage that's been built up uh, as far as his record and like you know the the right names and stuff. So I wouldn't mind seeing him take on another guy in the top ten if he's not going to get uh, Andre or Charlo or or Golovkin next. Uh, who that is, I'm not sure but I wouldn't mind seeing him take on a top 10 guy in his next fight if it's not going to be a title fight. Mm-hmm. But I think the kid is ready. And then, um, and, uh, the, the other fight that was on that card that I really was uh, impressed with was, uh, <clears throat> was William Zapata. I thought he looked great. The kid's a big, strong, uh, rugged dude at 135. And, uh, some people on Twitter were saying that they thought that since he's on, uh, golden boy that that would be like the perfect opponent for uh ryan garcia yeah and i thought to myself there's no way in hell garcia and his team would even think about considering yeah. this guy as an opponent that kid is way too tough and he's way too good for him to be uh given a shot against garcia he's gonna have to be one of those guys that works his way up the ladder and then eventually becomes a mandatory and then he has to force someone to actually give him a shot because he he doesn't have a he doesn't have a fan base and he doesn't sell tickets like some of these other guys supposedly do. So unless unless he becomes a mandatory, he's not gonna get a shot at any of these guys anytime soon. But I like that kid a lot. I think he I think he looks like the real deal at thirty at uh thirty five. Um and then with the Benavides card, I'm sorry, Mike. I think Jose Benavides like I think they top rank new what he was after the Crawford fight, I think they know he's a guy who's damaged goods, unfortunately for him, it wasn't his fault. it was somebody you know outside of the ring uh did something to him, and he just is never gonna be able to be the same guy that he was uh before that incident happened. But you can see the guy <clears throat> the guy legitimately uh is not uh dedicated to living the life of a fighter. I mean, taking three entire years off and then blowing up in weight and then killing oh, yeah. yourself to get all the way down. Was he like 250 or
0: something? He was like way over 200 They pounds. said
4: 230. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they said 230. So he, sh- he shaved off 70 pounds, Mike, just to fight uh this past weekend, That's which is crazy. insane. So, yeah. So to me, that guy's not really convinced that he he thinks he has it anymore. And I just think that PVC did uh, Jose Benavides a favor because of his brother. And I hope that the guy legitimately walks away because I I would hate to see him just get beat up uh, for no reason. But he looked bad. There's no way around it. He just looked bad. And I thought Torres did enough to win that fight. But I thought the judges gave him a little bit of some home cooking and allowed him to walk away with a draw. So, but, you know, that's just me. And then with uh, his brother in the main event, first of all, I got to give Kyron Davis a hell of a lot of credit. That dude has a heart as yeah, big as a lion. And absolutely. He's got balls of steel. It's unbelievable. He was in there trying to, you know, match everything that Benavides did to him. It's just unfortunate that he didn't have the ability to hurt Benavidez because he landed some clean shots, but just was never able to back him up and, and force him to actually have to take a step back. And Benavides just walked through him and just eventually got him out of there. But I think they did the right thing. And and, and when they were interviewing him to see Bradman look like he was going to cry when uh, Jim Gray was asking him questions about why he stopped it, I mean, I thought that said everything. I think he he loved the kid, and he just didn't want to see him get ruined in this fight. So, you know, they they made the right call and pulled in the plug when they did because I would have hated to have seen that kid get beat up for no reason. Um, And uh, I was going to bring it up too. Um, Oh yeah. And then just really quick with the fight this weekend, uh, Mike, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's either, it's either shit or get off the pot with Andre. I'm tired of this guy coasting and winning boring, ugly, unanimous decisions. Mm -hmm. And then crying about how, you know, Canelo or Charlo or nobody else will fight him. Um it's time to you go out there and you actually force these guys to actually have to fight you instead of you uh complaining about um not getting the fights you want. Um and I think I think he will do that because to me, I mean like you said is a nice guy but I just don't think he's a championship level contender. Right. I think he's just a guy who they built up and he's there for the taking. If Andre really wants to make a statement, he'll take this guy out. But if he has another boring, dreadful dreadful performance, Andre has nobody to blame but himself. And that, to me, will be an indictment on how pathetic his career has been if he allows this guy to go 12 and he wins a boring decision.
0: I completely agree, yeah.
4: Yeah. All right, Mike, that's my call. All
0: right, Ben, have a good one.
4: All right,
1: man.
0: Yeah, I agree with Nacho. I mean, it's really it's really up to Andre to create that kind of demand. Um, let's see, Joe in the chat says, Hey Mike, did you hear Bob Bennett is retiring? Yes, I did. I, I saw that. And they already have his successor picked out. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes, if any, come to the Nevada Commission. I personally hope that that commission becomes more transparent with fans and the media. I would love to see an NSAC Twitter account, or just somebody there, some sort of PR person or something, an outlet where fans could talk to the commission, the commission could talk to fans. Um, And not, you know, I I don't mean trolling and harassing them, but I mean legitimately bringing up concerns. Because I really think that commission stays so insular and they don't listen to fans a lot. They don't listen to the media enough. So I hope we get some good changes from that. Bob Bennett did a couple of, interesting things. Um, he, he made a couple of improvements, but it's 2021. There's certain things that Nevada should be doing that it's it's almost sad they're not doing yet. And that commission kind of runs the other commissions because of the money it brings in. California is the busiest commission. Nevada is the richest because it brings in so much money from the casinos, the big casino fights. So they kind of lead the way. So I hope whoever comes in, I I can't remember the dude's name. thats going to take over for Bob Bennett. I just hope that they kind of join the 21st century with some of the things that they do. I saw, let's see, uh, Sam, Sam asked, uh, did I see the video where the girl singer gets a guy on a stage and pisses on his face? (laughs) That was crazy. I saw, I tweeted it. I tweeted that video. Uh, Here's my thing. A couple of you guys mentioned this to me on Twitter. Do you think that was organic or do you think it was set up? Part of me wonders uh, if, if this was just a publicity stunt to get people talking about this band that nobody knows about, but I'm like, dude, how much of a fucking simp are you to let a girl piss on your face on a stage like that in front of however many people were there? I, and I don't know, I have, I know nothing about this band, but knowing that that video is going to go viral, millions of people are going to see this. I mean, it, Dudes are simping out there like crazy. It's like it's like, like an epidemic. What happened to men in this country that the alpha male is dead? Uh, the, the way the, the young guys talk now and the way they dress and stuff, man, they're, they're the little twinks. And, and this dude that got pissed down, he looked like an older guy. But I'm just, he's probably one of these cuckold dudes that like looks for guys online to bang his wife and shit. Just just man, there's some weird shit out there, man. Guys, piss and shit, that's waste. Okay? That should go in the toilet, and that's the only place it should go. It should not be going on your face. For real. All right, back to the phones. <laughs> 619, you're on the show. What's so. <laughs> up? Hey,
3: Michael. It's Juan Valverde from San Diego. How are you, man?
0: Good, man. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I watched um uh, Mungia fight Saturday, and I was. Uh, Will entertained. I, I was. Um, I expected a good fight. You know, everybody was talking about how this this was uh, almost a guaranteed good fight, and I invited a, a buddy that I've been getting into boxing in the last uh, you know couple of years, and uh, he said, you know, I think this is going to be a competitive match. And I'm like, you know, I expect when a, when a guy like Mongia is going to fight a, a veteran like Rosado, I want to see him run over him. To, to make a statement. That's what I want want to see. I think that's what I expect to see from Mungia. Because I ah, I don't think that's going to happen. And then the fight happened, and he was right. <laughs> yeah. He was more right than me. And uh, it was way more competitive than I thought it was. The it was going to be. But then I you know Mungia um, did show me a lot of things that I know he's been working with ter- Terrible, and um, and that kind of impressed me. But I, I also as I tweeted, um, I also realized that you know Mungia is is a little bit overrated on the power department. A lot of people yeah. expect, expect him to knock out, but, and, but he's not. I don't think he's that big of a puncher as we thought he was going to be. And I, I don't know if you re- remember, but uh, I think Liam Smith is the one who said when he fought him that uh, with uh, due, due respect to to uh, Munguia, he doesn't push as hard as Canelo. I remember he said that. I was like, okay, and it turns out this guy you know, is not as hard as a punch as, as I thought it was going to be, that he is, you know, mixing it up, you know, throwing that jab, jab to the body, which I love, and which Terrible used to, you can definitely see that influence there. And, uh, yeah. And, 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 and again, game as ever, game as ever, but also brought some concerns about Munguia, you know, he did hit him with some big shot, uh, I mean, Rosado to Munguia. And I was just wondering, what would happen if, uh, you know, a stronger puncher was landing those punches would right. he be able to eat them as he did well i don't know man yeah. and um a lot of people i saw a lot of people talking about the possibility of mugia fighting triple g at one point and I, and I want to see that fight i think that's a good fight and i was like well that's going to be the fight you know to 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 tell us about both guys where they are because a lot of people think of triple g when they think of when they're predicting triple g fights they're thinking about Triple G 2014. They forget that the guy is almost 40. He's not the same guy. And this might be the perfect moment for a guy like Mungia. If he survives four or five rounds out of those punches, he will make it interesting. And, and you never know, you know? Yeah. These kids, you know, they're young. They have the energy. He's doing some good stuff there. And Triple G might gas out. You never know. So I, I like what I see. I, I like that fighter. I, I, I definitely watch every time. And I'll tell you, Whenever I go to Tijuana, people like him. When, when he's around, like I've seen him in restaurants, and when he's there, he's taking pictures with everybody. People recognize him. He's very charismatic. So yeah, the future is his. It's about him and Terrell and building him up. So I'm I'm, I'm happy from, from what I saw. And and the other thing, about the fight this weekend. You know, uh, I'm very excited about this fight. I'm, I'm a big big Crawford fan. I. I seen him fight live i went to madison square garden the only time i've ever been there was for a proper fight when he fought Khan. i like yeah. him a lot ever since i you know he came out and uh and beat uh what was it gamboa i was yep. I, I i always like his style he was like, uh Pernell Whitaker whittaker slash like chain mo- i don't know he's he's like very dynamic he's very good defensively he's not afraid to mix it up i like the guy you know that's the kind of guy i want to see and uh I Sean I, Porter, even though I don't like the way he fights, I know he brings everything to the table. He makes boxers, you know, sweat it out. He's gonna bring the best out of you and Crawford has to you know, you know, he has to show the best of him and I think he won't. I really think this is a fight where we're gonna see someone really, you know, beat up uh Porter. I think he's that good of a fighter. I think Crawford is that good of a fighter. For as good as Errol Spence is Errol, Errol stands,
1: not Errol. Errol,
3: yeah. uh, <laughs> For as good as he is and as much as I love that guy, I think Crawford is better. I, I'm in that band. So I do think and expect Crawford to, to, to win this fight. And he's, I think he's going to, like you said, he's going to do it in a an emphatic f- fashion. So I'm really looking forward to this fight. I'm I'm, I'm excited. So um, that, that's all I got today, man. Thank you for taking my call. All
0: right, brother. Have a good one. Thank you, man. I right, see. So my my alpha male comment triggered some of you guys on the chat. Look, look. You know, when I say alpha male, I don't mean that. You know, I go I go to my wife and I'm like, you you know, where's my dinner, bitch? <laughs> I I don't mean that. I mean, you know, it, it's okay to to have some testosterone and, and to be, um, I guess, a classical uh, alpha male in that type, in that sense, but also you should be enlightened and educated and sensitive and, and all those things too. You you can be both yin and yang, but I I see dudes out here that are just straight simps. I just see a country of Will Smith's right now that let people walk all over them. That are doormats you're letting people piss on your fucking face to get a couple clicks on social media, or maybe this dude just really that turns them on or something. I don't know, man. That's some crazy German-Japanese porn shit. Um, That's just a little out there for me. But I just see a lot of simps. And, I, you know, me and Tiffany, we were were out getting uh, dinner last night, and we were just looking at some of the tables, you know, with with some of the young guys, and I'm just looking at them, and I'm like, none of these guys lift weights. None of these guys play sports. You know, I I just see a lot of effeminate kind of dudes walk around. Cool, you know, whatever your thing is, cool. I'm just saying – um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a guy and, you know, a guy's guy, there's nothing wrong with it. That's all I'm saying. And a guy's guy being a man's man, that includes being sensitive and caring and all that good stuff, you know? <clears throat> okay. Toreen Fox says, it would be hilarious if Kenny Keith came on M O B and did his Bob Bren- Bob Bennett impression. Yeah. I pissed off Kenny today. I watched, uh, I watched the, they just had a new episode of, um, the boxing rant podcast, Kenny Keith and Vince Cummings. And they commented on that, that triple G is half Korean. And I left a comment correcting them that triple G is a quarter Korean. And I know this cause I've talked to triple G about it. And, um, a lot of people call triple G half Korean. It's, it's even on his wiki and stuff. And I try, I've tried to correct people a thousand times, but I was talking to triple G about his mother once. And, and, you know, I was like, so your mom's Korea, right? He goes half, half, you know, and he, he like really quickly corrected me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so his mom's half Korean. So Triple G is a quarter Korean. Anyway, I commented that on the Box of Grants page, just correcting them, friendly, correct. And, and he goes, I don't give a fuck. That's what he said back to me. So, and I know they were half joking, but I really pissed Kenny and Vince off with that one. Sorry, guys. I wasn't trying to nitpick, just trying to, you know, cor- correct the record. You know, accuracy matters. Anyway, <clears throat> not that any of that shit matters. Who cares? Ah, let's see. Isan's on the chat. What's up, Isan? He just says, Mike, Isan. Joe says, Earl Spence. Yeah, I'm just going to start calling him Earl, too, because that's what everyone calls him. I I don't understand it. It's just like with Loma, when they called Loma Lomachenko, or like Lemonchenko. I'm like, it it made me think there's an Italian drink called Limoncello, which is like kind of a, you drink it when it's hot outside. It's like a liqueur, lemony, kind of sweet kind of drink. And uh, that's what it sounded like to me, like Lemonchenko. James Earl Spence, says Derek on the chat. That's hilarious. Gail says that's Earl Spence. She spells it U-R-L. I like that the best, U-R-L, Earl Spence. Gail, you win. (laughs) That's funny, man. Uh, Steve says we're joking, Mike. I know, I know you guys are joking, but hey, Steve, you understand, there's going to be people out there that will take my soundbite, right? and they'll turn it into something completely different and there's going to be some asshole on twitter saying a bunch of crazy stuff about me uh dissing simps. I just think it's kind of look, Will Smith right now with the thing that's going on with that dude, he needs a publicist to just step up to him and say Will, stop talking for a while. Just stop talking. Stop eating. Go get in the gym for about 6 months and don't talk. Get off social media for about six months. just just stop. Stop talking to Oprah, stop talking to everybody. Someone needs to tell them, but I don't know if they will. Uh, Mendiola in the chat says, Jesus, I wish these guys would stop with the bullshit about Eric Morales. I'm going to say it again for the cheap seats. Fernando and no train Jaime. Morales shows up when the cameras are on. Yeah, I, you have said that about a thousand times to me, but Morales does seem to get the credit. That's why I say Munguia's team. If you go back, Mindiola, when I was talking about Munguia's improvements earlier, I said Munguia's team. I did not say Morales, because I know that is a group effort over there. Boxing a Bulldog says, uh, Crawford is getting long in the tooth. We've seen some cracks in the armor recently. Yeah, I agree, but was that him fighting down to the level of his opposition because he was bored? I think he's going to be 100% up for this fight, man. I think he's going to be 100% ready. And uh, the pictures and stuff, the, the training footage I've seen so far, He's looking ready guys. I, he's going I think he's going to look really good. I think he knows that this is his, I don't know what to call it because it wouldn't be a breakout performance. I guess it would just be a statement making performance for him. And Joe just says, Will Smith is awful. I'll say this about Will. Look living in LA for 10 years, dabbling in Hollywood, having friends in that business, working in that business to a certain degree and boxing media is just part of the entertainment industry you get to know things and you get to hear things all I'll just all I'll say is Will Smith does favors and that's how he got to be where he got to be he does favors <clears throat> Toreen says you are right Mike Josh was right about you <laughs> dude when I posted that it, it was really really funny uh, half of my friends did not get that meme, Toreen. So guys, I posted a, a meme that I saw of, um, if you've ever seen the movie, Jason's Lyric, right? When Josh kept trying to uh, kill Lyric, or not kill her, but he just kept trying to break up uh, Jada Pinkett, the character she was playing. And I think um, Josh was played by Bukim Woodbine, uh, tried to break her up with Alan Payne's character, right? Cause they were brothers and, and he was getting jealous and there was this whole thing. And then he ends up killing her and stuff. Anyway, there was this funny meme, I posted it. And half of my friends were like DMing me like, dude, what is this a reference to? And I'm like, Jason's lyric. And they're like, what the, what the hell is that? And I like had to explain to them what that movie was. And then I look at my comments and I notice it's only my black friends and black family members that are leaving comments and shit. And I thought about it and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> None of like my white friends knew what the hell it was. And then I forgot. Well, yeah, I grew up in Detroit. I grew up, you know, pretty black. I grew, you know, most of my friends, my my girlfriends, my classmates, my coaches, my teachers were black. It's just it's a neighborhood I grew up in. So I saw movies like Jason's Lyric and stuff like I, I went to the movies to watch that stuff because that's what my girlfriends wanted to see. It's what me and my friends watched. But a lot of my friends, you know, my white friends were like messaging me like, what the hell is this a reference to? They didn't even know what Jason's lyric was. So anyway, dude, I'm glad you appreciated it, Toreen. I thought that shit was funny. But a lot of people had no idea what I was talking about. <clears throat> Good times. All right, we have another call. Let's jump to the phones. 626. Oh, did they click on it? Uh, there we go. 626. You're on the show. What's up?
3: Hey buddy, how's it going? What's up, man? Is All this right. who is this? Hey, so this is Ruben. Ruben, Ruben what's from, up? Uh, Los Angeles. Hey, question for you. What's your take on uh Canelo fighting Charlo next? Do you think uh if he plasters Charlo, would he get the respect? I mean
0: Um I think that there's going to be, because he's the number one guy in the sport, right? He's the face of boxing. Yeah. There's going to be some people that are never going to give him credit because they're just haters. And then there's going to be some people that always overrate him and won't criticize him because they're lovers. And it it's kind of like the way things were with Floyd, with Manny, with Oscar, when you're like the top guy in the sport, that's just how it is. So, so Canelo, there's going to be some dudes that are just never going to give him credit, bro. Never.
3: Got it, got it, and and I and I and, and I'm, I totally agree with you. And last, I think last week's um, assessment of you having them at top five. Initially, I was like, wait a minute, but then you know what? That was a, a totally fair assessment, 100, because I'm looking at the top 168 pounders, and I was like, whoa, dude. I mean, you forget how great James Tony was and Calzaghe was, and and um. Ward, you know, geez, Ward was pretty good, you know, with, um, mm-hmm. Casper and, uh, and, um, Frotch. And, uh, uh <clears throat> yeah, Frotch, geez Louise. Oh my gosh. Those are pretty, pretty solid, pretty solid. Um, but I would just, I would love to get, I, would, I sure hope Canelo at least, um, takes on Ward and, uh, excuse me, takes on, uh, Charlo and, um, Hopefully a triple G trilogy, just uh, just to close up the deal, and um, hopefully I think uh, I I think you'll probably see Benavides at one seventy five, but
1: yeah. Anyway, right. I want
3: to take up your time, buddy. Just uh, thank you very much. Awesome show. Big fan. Keep it up, bud.
0: Thanks a lot, brother. Have a good night, man.
3: Likewise, brother. Be safe.
0: Okay, you too. Yeah, I, I agree with Ruben that Benavidez, there's a strong chance he might end up at 175, which, depending on timing, man, that, that could, it could make some cool things happen. Because, like, imagine if we got, like, Joe Smith versus David Benavidez. Holy shit, that's going to be a fun fight. Like, there would be some interesting fights at 75, or even, like, Bevel and Benavidez. That'd be fucking crazy, right? Uh, so there'd be some interesting fights. But of course, we want to see Canelo in Benavidez. It it, it really is up to what he wants to do in terms of his weight and everything else. Um, Boxing Learner says, me too, and I am, Uh, me too, what, you didn't see that movie? Well, it could be an age thing, too. It could be an age thing, too, Uh, because it was like a 90s movie, you know, so maybe that was just part of it. But if you saw the movie, then the meme made sense, you know, I feel like I should share my screen right now. Nigel, Nigel, what's up, man? He says, uh, Charlo hasn't faced the competition to be or competition or been active enough to be a genuine threat to Canelo. Should it happen next? Got to call it how I see it. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of, I almost put him like in a Caleb Plant category, man. He's definitely more explosive than Caleb Plant though. But I actually think Caleb Plant's better defensively. Plant probably has better defense, but Charlo probably has better offense. Definitely punches a hell of a lot harder. Um But neither of these dudes have been active and they just haven't fought anyone, man. Everyone's just kind of waiting for the sweepstakes. And um, that's just not how you prepare for fights, man. You know, Kiko Martinez pulled off this big, big win um, this weekend. And like on the surface, he was a massive betting underdog. And he should be. In in a rematch, Galahad's probably going to win a rematch because he'll just box and he'll be safer and smarter. But um Martinez was able to pull that out because of his experience. That's how it wasn't like just a lucky punch. He set it up. It was craft and his experience prepared him for that. So, um, Oh, Chris in the chat says, I genuinely have no idea what Jason's lyric is. Oh, I love it. Yeah, man. I could probably name like a dozen movies that like half of you guys have probably never seen, but then the other half would be like, hell yeah, I love that movie. And it's just, it's just how I grew up, man. It's just how I grew up. <clears throat> okay, back to the chat. Uh, I think we'll do one more call here. I'm losing my voice. Six six one. You're on the show. What's up? Six six one.
3: Steve from California.
0: Steve, what's up?
3: Hey. So, uh, I just want to put my thesis when it comes to all of this Charlo stuff. I I'm not a fan of him getting this you fight, man uh daddy Reynoso, every time he gets interviewed it sounds like they're going that way and they're leaning that way but i just don't think he's done enough to earn that fight like he hasn't done anything in middleweight and he's supposed to just cut the line and go to super middleweight and truthfully i'm five, five. five but that but that fight was made i would put my money on canelo knocking him out or stopping it like I think Benavides is a fight to be made, but even at that, like that guy is busting us the seams. I agree; he's he's gonna go up to lightweight soon to see if he doesn't get to final fight because I think he's just killing himself a weight weight cut. Um, <clears throat> and then my last thing, and I'll let you go. Um, everybody that's on this channel that's listening needs to uh, help support the fight going on going down this weekend. Terrence Crawford, Sean Porter. Please don't do not stream this fight, man. Do your best to mm. buy the pay per view, get with your buddies, and hey, somebody chipping I'll chipping that, whatever the case may be. Because this is a great fight, and we need to encourage fighters to make it happen. Like this, I didn't think this was going to happen. I thought I don't know. I mean, the only reason it happened was because of W WBO mandated, but still, we need to encourage these fighters, the promoters, to make it happen and you know, we'll have bigger fights in the future. I feel like this will encourage, this will help take away the whole other side of the street idea that, well, not an idea, I mean, it's very true, but we need to eliminate it and encourage these fighters to fight. So please, boxing hardcores, boxing casuals, whatever the case may be, purchase a pay-per-view, and I understand, you know, get with some buddies, chip in, do whatever you can, man, because these are great fights that we need encourage people to watch to help the, the sport grow
0: i agree i agree man if it's a successful pay-per-view then maybe uh we could see more of this kind of thing and maybe we could finally get crawford dispense so so i'm with you on that
3: yeah I, we need to encourage people to do it but man i just hate i, I think honestly Charles is a tuna for for canelo man <laughs> i think if it happens I think, I mean, it's a big fight. I get the monetary side of it, business side. You can put it in Texas. Man, that little part that 70,000 in there with. I mean, he did it with Billy Joe, and not a lot of people know who Billy Joe was. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah, if they them, do that I mean, in Texas, like, God.
0: they could probably do 80,000 fans in Texas if they did that fight. Um, I think that'd be huge, huge. but, um, But I... I I actually think Charlo would be competitive with Canelo, but I agree with you that style-wise, is just all wrong for him, just all wrong for him. I think that he'd win that fight pretty big. And
3: what has he done starting the fight, man? What has what he, he done? I feel like this, if he takes this fight,
0: like – I don't think be, it'll like, happen.
3: Everything else bad. Can-
0: Canelo's people, when he the was with Golden Boy, or was it Matchroom, Maybe it was Matchroom, They offered a, a huge career-high payday offer to Charlo and his team, and PBC turned it down. They're not interested in that fight, whatever they say. So I, I mean, maybe at one sixty-eight.
3: Well, supposedly said that wasn't true.
0: I have it on good authority that they sent uh, an offer over, and that the PBC executives turned it down before Charlo even knew about it. Charlo didn't even have any idea an an offer had been sent. That's what I have on good authority.
3: Damn, man, that sucks too. I mean, honestly, I feel like he did know. Um, I'm sure you heard about what the other twin said and how he was like. I would never turn down a Camilla fight. To me, that was very revealing. Yeah. Um, I know they contradict themselves a lot, but when your own brother is, like, mad at you, you know, you're siblings, you get emotional, and you kind of you little say a little more than you should. Um,
0: Good point. So, but yeah. Yeah,
3: I just don't think he's earned that fight, man. I do not think he's earned that fight.
0: I don't think I don't none of these guys have earned a damn fight. Is. I don't think none of them have earned it. That's fair. You know? That's the one thing I'll say about Canelo is, much like Mayweather, right now he's being a diva, he's dictating terms, he's doing, but he did kind of pay his dues. I mean, he did fight Golovkin twice. He fought Lara. He fought Floyd when he didn't have to. He fought Trout. Uh, he's fought, he fought the fights. And so now he's in a position where he can kind of dictate terms. And, and to a lesser extent, Golovkin is the same thing. These guys paid the cost to be the boss. So everyone else, all these young cats just want to jump in the ring with them and get that big payday. It's like, dude, go out and fucking earn it. Go earn it. You know, it's yes. so, that's just yes.
3: my my last thing too, I, I love Camilo because my thing is like fighters like Ryan Garcia, Cal Fima Lopez, Devin Haney, Javante Davis, all these young fighters that have a lot of potential. What are you guys doing fighting twice a year? Like never wow. fought four times in 11 months, and he would have done it in nine months if they could have agreed to terms in September. It's true. And you guys are, like, fighting about once or twice a year. What is going on? Like You guys need to put your name out there. You know what I mean?
0: True. Very, very true.
3: All right, thank you for taking my call, man. All
0: Appreciate right, Steve. It. Have a good night, man. All right, uh, back to the chat real quick, and then we're going to jump off, guys. Nigel says, Poetic Justice, another awesome film. Yep. Everyone was talking about how good Janet was going to be in that movie. I thought Tupac acted circles around her. I thought he stole the show on that film. <clears throat> Nacho says, Mike, that was upset of the year for sure. War Martinez. You know, it's between that fight, you know, Kiko Martinez and, and the way he beat Kid Galahad was exciting because it was one punch out of nowhere. But Sandor Martin completely outboxing Mikey Garcia. It almost like, I'm not going to say I'll class because you know, he didn't, but just, he won from start to finish, like dominated the fight. Like to me, that was more shocking, but I get it. The one punch knockout that looks more shocking. That's more emotional. You know what I'm saying? Um, Oh, Gail says I will be in Las Vegas ringside. Apparently ticket sales have been good. Mandalay Bay is smaller than T-Mobile. Great place to see a card. Yeah, from what I hear, um, the walk-up and stuff this week should be pretty good for Crawford Porter. I'm expecting it to do well. I'm expecting it to do well. Definitely expecting a good show. I don't know how it will do on pay-per-view though. I really don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it could crack half a mil. Sam with the super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. He said, "Did you call Boone and find out?" about the triad fights on Triller with Metallica playing. What are the new rules? I did not, brother. Uh, I haven't talked to Jim Boone. Uh, Last time I talked to him, I was asking about uh, the ticket sales for Canelo Plant. So I just haven't talked to him since then. But uh, I did get an email from Triller about the whole Metallica thing. And I think they're doing like a giveaway. They're giving away tickets or packages to people and stuff. Go to, um, what the hell is the dude's name? Something Kavanaugh the guy that runs Triller, I can't think of his Ryan Kavanaugh. Go to his uh Twitter page and there's links and stuff there where like if you guys are interested in that show, there's information there. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get you sucker is another classic film from Nigel. Dude, the scene when um when they were dancing and like just hitting everybody, right? And then he goes, Man, we were a hit. Dude, growing up, that scene used to, I used to laugh my ass off at that scene over and over and over uh that movie was great man that movie was a lot of fun all right guys what happened to fun movies like that nigel what happened all this new shit is trash all right guys uh good show today man it's dinner time and um we'll do it again friday all right we'll do it on my channel friday so i'll see you guys then have a great week love you see you at the fights